0: Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall, and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by Canyon and Earshots, and we've got a giveaway and a discount code for you coming right up. Last week, Canyon launched a completely updated torque family with 29er, 275 and mullet options in both carbon and aluminium frames, so there's something for every style, taste and budget. The Canyon Torque is a 170-180mm bike which is DH certified, so it's built to handle the roughest of riding. Canyon's team rider Tommy G showed what it was capable of by popping on some triple clamps and using it for a rampage. So it really is a tough piece of kit. But Canyon were keen to make something that was not only a DH capable machine, but could also be ridden back to the top without it being a chore. They put themselves in the shoes of riders who are heading to Whistler or Queenstown for a season and need one bite to smash out part laps, but that they can also pedal out into the backcountry without it feeling like a tank as soon as the trail points uphill. It's even got space for a water bowl. The Talk continues Canyon's drive to make bikes that are easy to live with and a pleasure to work on and maintain by using things like full internal cable guides, double sealed bearings and replaceable thread inserts. It's another nicely thought out bike from the Canyon team. The Talk is in stock and available now over at Canyon.com where you can check out the entire range. As a downtime listener, if you use the promo code all-features-unlocked-21, you'll get a free bike guard on all torque, carbon and aluminium orders. That code is valid until the 10th of January, but I think these things will sell out pretty quick. So if you're interested, then head over to canyon.com and check them out. Full terms and conditions can be found in the show notes for this episode over on the website. The code again is all uppercase all-features-unlocked-21. Earshot's Bluetooth headphones are here to help you stay motivated while you ride and train. I don't know about you, but I've always struggled to find a set of headphones that stay in while I'm riding or in the gym. Earshot's patented magnetic ear clip solves the problem of earphones constantly dislodging and moving in your ear so you can ride and train without distraction. I'll admit to being sceptical after so many other so-called sports headphones let me down, but Earshot's really do deliver on their promise and it's transformed my experience in the gym and on solo bike rides earshots are based out in new zealand and they're supporting riders like windmasters sam blenkinsot ray morrison and tuto penne so you know these things are being tested under some serious riding conditions if you want to find out more then you can head over to earshots.com earshots are generously going to give away two pairs of their awesome headphones to lucky downtime listeners all you need to do is to head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash earshots and drop in your name and email address and you've got until the 4th of january to get your entry in all the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on DowntimePodcast.com. Please make sure you're following the podcast on whatever platform you listen. There's going to be a button there that says follow or subscribe, so hit that now. It's free and it means you'll get every episode as soon as it drops. If you can't find the button, then you can head to DowntimePodcast.com forward slash subscribe where there's links to all the major platforms there to help you. I'd also love it if you can give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook where I'm at Downtime It's the best place to keep up to date with what's going on and it's always great to hear from you in the comments and the messages there. All right, this week I'm catching up with Paul Aston. Last time we spoke to Paul, he'd mentioned that he was looking to buy a farm and was going to set out on an ambitious project to turn it into a bike farm and use it as a base to create truly independent bike tests for us. Well, earlier this year, Paul started to turn that dream into reality. So we sat down to catch up on the progress. We chat about the farm, the credit card debts, and his experiences with the Canyon Sender and Commencal Supreme. Hear about Paul's attempt to podium at the Masters Worlds, the mountain bike that doesn't seem capable of much mountain biking, and much, much more. As always with Paul, there's some serious technical details that will really get you thinking. So without further ado, here's Paul Aston. Paul Aston, welcome back
1: to the Downtime Podcast. One year on, how's it going?
2: uh hi chris yeah it's going fantastically well in most most ways (laughs) and yeah i can't believe it's a year there's a lot has changed in one year
1: yeah there's plenty to talk about so yeah i think last time you came on which was pretty much bang on a year ago um you had some dreams of buying a farm in italy to use for various bike related purposes and um you've managed to make that a reality over the last 12 months just tell us a little bit I guess initially about the farm because I think you'd been to see this place when we spoke last time right
2: yeah I'm not sure if I've made it into a reality yet of like <laughs> <laughs> on maybe on the first step of making it into a reality yeah I'm not sure exactly what I said on the last the last podcast but I had been to see it about. to the 6th of November, so a couple of weeks ago, one year ago. Yeah. And I've been looking at, prop, uh, at properties for for years, and just around that time last year, my brother found one. I don't know why, he was just scrolling through the internet looking for houses, and he sent me a picture of this one and said, have you seen this one? I was like, wow, no, that looks amazing. And then me and uh, Ben Winder came to look at it. And we we were both like, oh my god, this is amazing! It's like the perfect place in every every way. There's like no no negatives really that we could see, apart from the big cracks in the walls. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but yeah, and then went from there and bought it in the end and moved in in May. Tell
1: us a bit about the the farm itself and the and the buildings there because. It's a uh, it's a pretty big spot, right?
2: Yeah, it's uh thirty thousand square meters of land. Uh-huh. But it's not all in one parcel. It's like divided up slightly, and then the other parcels of land in between are basically mine. I've decided because <laughs> no one ever comes here, <laughs> and one of the la- one of the landowners is my next door neighbour Matilda, who's a hundred and one years old. Wow. So I don't think she'll be using the woods much anytime soon.
3: Yeah, fair.
2: Um, so yeah, it feels like a lot more land. And there's one main house, the great house, we could call it. And uh, then there's a spare house, which we generally refer to as the shit house. <laughs> and then, which is like an old stone. It's almost a ruin, but that's hopefully going to get renovated along the way at some point and there's a big garage it's like a 100 square meter garage so 50 meters on two levels and that's where most if anyone's been watching the videos or watching my Instagram that's where most of the images and filmings done so there's two two big garages downstairs 25 meters each we've got the good garage and the shit garage <laughs> the good garage you might have seen i have a logo painted uh, by a friend she, painted a mule on the wall and then in the top is like a studio barn with these big big openings and the best the best view on the property and hopefully going to get permission to turn that into a small apartment or studio games room chill out area uh, which we had used it used it as a chill out area this this year quite a lot and i did a, a lot of work on the computer in there uh, nice. Yeah, this... it's a great nice open space with a a big view. And it's yeah. literally like two meters from the first the first trail we've built.
1: Yeah, so you've got you've got kinda of gradient on the land, right? So you you're able to be putting trails in on your own land.
2: Yeah, and there's everything from like really not vertical, but as close to vertical as you could get <laughs> sections. Yeah. Um in the woods, along to like flat grass fields. Uh-huh. It's mostly on the on a hillside, and on my land, I've got maybe hundred and fifty meters of elevation. Nice, but I can go higher up the hill on other people's land and lower down the hill, and there's a possibility to have quite a good shuttle road back up plus e bike climbs. And longer descents down to town, and to sort of link into the other local riding uh, riding spots around here.
3: Yeah.
1: So this is the sort of spot that if you were buying it over in the UK, you'd be forking out millions for this much land and property. And uh, I don't mean anything bad here, but bike testers aren't generally played millions of pounds a year. I yeah. Like, no, oh, no, fair sorry. enough.
2: No, no, no. Sorry, I forgot. <laughs>
1: How is it a significantly more affordable thing when you're over where you are?
2: In this area particularly, it was significantly more affordable. Uh, it was about... Well, it's a little bit less than three new specialised e-bikes, the top-of-the-line ones, for the whole the whole place. Wow.
1: That puts it in uh, in context.
2: Yeah, something like... Basically, it was... One euro twenty per square metre of land, uh-huh. plus the garage and the houses and the other small houses on the on the land for yeah for free thrown in for free.
1: Amazing,
2: and it would have been wow. cheaper, but I'm sure I got ripped off by a dodgy estate agent because <laughs> we we'd agreed uh, a much lower price than I paid, and suspiciously at the last minute there was another offer from some unknown unnamed people interesting Who didn't make a counter offer against my counter offer mm. um very suspicious very last yeah. minute yeah it like? the day i'd signed the contract and posted it to the estate agent this offer came in what's it like buying after a it being on in? the market for 10 years
1: <laughs> what's so. it like buying a house in italy because it's not a straightforward process in the uk but Italy generally uh can be a bit challenging from a like a process point of view i guess
2: well, I've never bought a house anywhere before, so I can't comment on other other countries, but it did seem quite complicated, but the girl or the woman who worked at the estate agent, she's amazing. She absolutely killed everything. She was on the ball the whole time, sorted everything out. I had to get a translator and a witness and a notaire and all these different things. She sorted it all out. So from my point of view, it was pretty easy, it just kept getting delayed Um, Brexit and Covid didn't help to expedite the process so I was hoping to sign for it last year, before the Brexit deadline Yeah. which is one reason I wanted to buy the house anyway and yeah, I finally signed for it in May like five months later (laughs) um but yeah she sorted of it all like. out she was really good and it was pretty easy it's about about half no about 30 percent of the total cost was fees and tax wow so the house was really cheap and the tax the paperwork is really high really expensive
1: fair enough but you're in there you've got your your dream spot what are the plans for it like what have you done so far and what are the plans longer term
2: so far, we have well, we've done lots of stuff. I got the camper van stuck quite a few times in the <laughs> garden, including the first day we arrived, we got stuck. Um, it was all completely overgrown and derelict when we got here. So lots of clearing. I've probably chopped 200 trees, <clears throat> 200 trees that were already fallen down. The grass was all like... Uh, nearly as tall as me in some places, like over a metre deep. So lots of cutting back grass, cutting back weeds, chopping branches off trees, chopping down fallen trees. Uh, We cleared, I don't know, like tonnes and tonnes of hay out of the barn and burned it all, like the equivalent to maybe 20 hay bales (laughs) Uh, and probably about 100 kilos of rat droppings nice included uh and found quite a few dead rats and things we cleaned out tons of rubbish out the garages we scraped like an inch of mud slash oil off the garage floor From where an old tractor had been sitting in there and then painted all the garage or sealed it painted it bricked up the window uh fixed we had to fix loads of locks um yeah just trying to get the ball rolling really and then calmed down a bit over summer because I was out in some other places working and traveling. But we managed to build or clean one climb that sort of existed already.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Built one descent with a misspent summer's crew that you're yeah. working with at the moment, friendly with uh-huh. in your downtime EP.
3: Yeah.
2: Which I haven't read yet. I'm still waiting to get one of those. Uh, what?
1: We'll have to expedite.
2: I've got to go and see see Ben Winder soon and he's got one to pick up. So
1: Good stuff.
2: And then last couple of months we've been uh, working on the house. So we ripped out all the electrics, cleared out loads of stuff, cleared out tons of rubbish, Um, knocked off tons of plaster off the walls. It was all sort of damp and super brittle. Badly replastered most of the house, painted the whole house now um got the old central heating working the washing machine still works which is good uh most of the furniture actually we managed to rescue uh and should be reusable and so that's saving a bit of money at the same time on an already cheap house and we even found 170 euros so far hidden in different places amazing so it's getting cheaper
1: keeps on giving
2: keeps on getting cheaper yeah
1: what's the plan for it longer term then like do you plan to kind of put in a full trail network to have other people ride in and stay in there like beyond the testing side of things that we'll talk about in a sec what what do you see the farm becoming
2: well the ultimate goal is to have both of the houses renovated plus uh, the studio barn so there's accommodation for multiple people and i have a little caravan Campervan parking zone for people visiting. And you're yeah, hopefully going to have a pump track, trials area, some BMX jumps, uh, climbs, and e bike climbs, normal climbs, descents. And I'm planning to build first like a sequence of test tracks to test the bikes uh, for doing specific things like drops, flat corners. Uh, braking sections, set size bumps, uh set size compressions to pump through. Uh that kind of thing. So you've got repeatable um individual test sections for tests in different different aspects of the bike and the suspension.
1: Got yeah. And where where is the farm? You're in Italy, right? But whereabouts?
2: I'm um, basically well if you know finale ligure. Yeah. You go to the top A Finale to the NATO base or the DIN restaurant.
3: Yeah.
2: And if you go down the other side about 30, 35 minutes, you'll get to my my place. Okay,
1: so you're not too far from Finale then if people are in that neck of the woods riding.
2: No, you can get to the base in like 45 minutes. Yeah. From the house, um, which is pretty good because it takes 30 minutes to get to the base from Finale. So we're pretty close. Sweet. I won't reveal the exact location. That's uh, fair.
1: And is there much of a trail network going off that other side of the hill already or not? Is it all kind of heading back towards Finale?
2: There is already some stuff off that side, yeah. Into Malare, which are sort of some of the best trails that have been there the last few years. But the new the new fresh stuff that everybody wants to ride. Yeah. And I can get to the bottom of those trails in twenty twenty minutes. Okay. Um but there's also really good Sort of trail centre area between me and Finale at Cairo Montanotti.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Absolutely amazing trail centre. The rock, the rock around circuit, and they've got seven descents. that are all really good, and pretty long, like five, six, seven minutes. Awesome. Real, really nice features. Really well built. Really good flow.
1: Like shuttled or self uplift, or how does it work?
2: Mostly pedaling. You probably yeah. could shuttle. Uh, we've just been there a couple of times pedaling. We're
3: uh-huh.
2: really cool. good trails. I can't believe that a lot of people from Finale don't go and ride there. It's easily com- competes with a lot of the stuff in Finale.
1: Cool. What about downhill stuff? Like if you want to go and session a downhill bike, where where would you head from there?
2: Some amazing bike parks about one hour away in the Piemonte uh Maritime Alps. Yeah, So there's Viola St. Gris, which I've been to a lot this year, and Monte Alpet, and then there's a few others in the same area. I can't remember the exact names, like Prato Novoso and Limoni Piemonte. Uh-huh. But Viola St. Gris is amazing, and that's one hour away.
1: And that's a chairlift uplift, is it? Or? Yeah,
2: they're yeah. all chairlifts, all those places. Yeah. But it's like super relaxed. There's a proper camper van parking place, bike wash chairlift cafe uh bike shop and i think five trails and the two flow trails two green flow trails are some of the best things i've ever rode <laughs> the one that's, what makes the them one so good? like just eight seven or eight minutes of just perfect flow and berms and just just really well built it's like a flow trail section you might get at a like a UK trail center, like some of the really good ones. Yeah. But With a chairlift at the top and 600 meters of descent. Incredible. It just goes on. I don't know how many kilometers it is, but it just goes on and on and on. And some
1: that's serious, amazing for tests and stuff. Some serious trail building work. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the, the testing side of things. So what's what's the plan, right? I guess the, the overarching thing is like a, a review that's fully unbiased, unpaid for or in any way. Uh, by the industry, right?
2: Exactly, yeah. The actual plan is quite loose and keeps uh, evolving along the way. But essentially, I wanted to buy the bikes either direct online from the the brand or from a shop as a consumer so I get the same consumer experience as... As an actual consumer, who are the people buying the bikes? Bike journalists aren't the people buying the bikes. And you normally, I'm going to say most of the time, you get a pre-prepared bike uh-huh. if you're media. Whereas if you walk into a shop, you get the shop service or if you order it straight online from YT bikes, for example, they're just going to grab one off the shelf and ship it to you. But when if you're you media, say- you get you'll get a prepped, checked bike. Yeah, I was going to
1: gonna, I was gonna say, when you say pre-prepared, what do you mean? Because I know certainly in the automotive industry, there can be all sorts of stuff going on, like spec changes and calibration changes for media cars. Like for On the bike size, it's it just something that's had a bit of TLC put into the build, or can there be other things there too?
2: Uh, some of the brands all help with suspension setup, which... Can be useful like they might set choose a certain amount of volume spaces or that kind of thing and i don't think they're going to like super deep uh rebuilding but i imagine they drop the lowers off the fork and check the right amount of oils in there and that the air springs grease properly and the same with the shock and i guess they'll check the bleed on the brakes and yeah, bolt check, check if it's talked correctly. I guess that would be that would be it really, but okay. it's definitely not the same as the full customer experience. Yeah. And following that, also if you're in the media, you have got a direct contact with someone there. So if you have a problem, like I've had a few problems this year, normally you would Message, email your contact at the brand, and say hi, so and so. This bolt fell out, and they'll be like, "Right, we'll get one FedEx to you like next day, yeah, from anywhere in the world." Or maybe if you've got a shop nearby, they'll find a shop and they'll send you to the shop, or they'll get one to you super fast somehow. And the same with warranty problems. If you have a a warranty issue, it would get sorted out super fast if you media they might even just send you a new bike or they'll get it, they get it sorted out really fast yep. compared to the real customer experience.
1: Okay. Yeah. So you're putting yourself in the customer's shoes. So how does that work like financially? Cause obviously you're going to have to pay full retail for the bikes.
2: It mostly works by going into lots of debt.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Go uh, on. Credit cards maxed out. Credit cards are all maxed out. Um, Family loans from my dad and my brother are maxed out, and I just <laughs> took another loan out, which arrived in my bank this morning um, so i'm about into about as much bike debt as the farm costs at the moment okay it's a fair chunk, which is getting quite stressful in some way <laughs> in some way yeah,
3: yeah,
2: but any business you're going to have to invest initially and then build up and hopefully repay your investment over over time yeah yeah i have i have got some other income i do i have been doing some photo shoots this year and copywriting for some brands so that's bringing some money in plus the first couple of raffles i did sorry it's not a raffle it's a competition a skill-based competition giveaway (laughs) in the eyes of hmrc and I sold a few things on there that I already had, uh, my BMX and the Dorado RRT fork, to get some money in. Plus, I've been selling some other stuff, and I did actually make a profit on the Formula Cura giveaway. Okay, so that's that's quite positive. I sold all the tickets and made a bit of a profit. So
1: yeah, so is this that's the ultimate that's way to pay me for hope. this? Is that you'll you'll uh, have a competition, however you want to describe it for the bike once you finish the testing that people can buy a, a ticket to enter kind of thing and that you sell more tickets than the cost of the bike is that that's ultimately how it you'd like it to work anyway
2: that's exactly how i would like it to work and that did work for the formula breaks yeah it didn't work for the canyon sender raffle because so i lost about three thousand pounds on that but i sort of knew i was taking a risk to to sort of see see if it would work but a lot of people did buy tickets and i'm really grateful to everyone who did buy a ticket but i just need some more need to build up more get some more followers um maybe choose a bike that's less uh specific like not many people want an extra large downhill bike whereas yeah. the raffle the where the brake raffle sold out because anyone could put those brakes on any bike at all yeah so what w- opens up the uh, the customer base for that but yeah the goal is to buy the bike, test it, ride it, tune up any parts that I think could be tuned and then yeah, give it away in a raffle and add enough uh, quantity of raffle tickets to pay for my time the tests in lift tickets, all that stuff and hopefully yeah. a bit more so I can make a profit and invest and build up uh, in the future. Got
1: yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's start with that first bike that you got. The Canyon Sender was the first one that I guess you've gone full circle on, like you've taken it in, you've tested it, you've upgraded it, you've raced it and you've uh, had the competition, the raffle, whatever you want to call it. Talk yeah. Talk us through the process with the Sender and like how you got on with that, I suppose.
2: Fantastic. Didn't really have, well, there were a few problems, but <laughs> no major problems with that. That was a panic bike. I originally bought the Norco, and I wanted to tune up the Norco and do an enduro race on it, and the Masters downhill world champs.
1: Uh-huh. This is the Norco Shore, right, with the triple clamp up front, and
2: yeah, which is yeah. selling as like a, a free ride bike. But to me, it looked like it had got a load of scope to upgrade it into a really good long travel enduro bike yeah uh but I rode that once or twice and thought, I can't race this it's a bit too small I chose the large it's a bit too small for me then I panic brought the sender <laughs> two week two weeks before the race, and yeah I went and tested it a standard. I went to the uh prior the location of the the master's world champs to try and get some yeah. sneaky practice in. Sneaky, yeah. Spent a whole day there practicing on completely the wrong track. <laughs> because I didn't do my research properly, so I rode the wrong track. Um, and yeah, tuned it up. We changed brakes. We changed the rear shock, which was the main sort of underperforming component. So we bought a Kitsuma coil shock for that. And I got a special custom fork damper from n s r racing Nigel Reeve who used to be the canyon factory racing mechanic for years, and yeah we worked for Stevie Smith, Nathan Rennie back in the day yeah and that was it with that with that bike. It's quite simple. We dropped the spoke tensions a lot, changed the tires I didn't change the brakes on that that was that was causing me some problems. Yeah, the suspension was amazing and yeah, fantastic bike overall. Had a few little issues.
1: What caused you to
2: drop the spoke tension out of interest? Uh, Nigel's recommendation. Okay. Interesting. To achieve what? Better compliance and tracking and grip. Mostly when you're either lent over or riding along something that's not flat.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. How, far, how far are you backing it off?
2: Uh, can't say exactly, but basically as loose as you can run them and complete one run. Okay. So you're having to kind of check them pretty regularly at that tension. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Really soft, really low. Yeah very low yeah to, um, to the point where sometimes you feel like you've got a puncture wow okay Fair play. and you can even like um hit the hit the wheel off the frame sometimes yeah basically as soft as possible and yeah. that also helps with the vertical compliance as well some yeah, yeah. to some extent but yeah mainly for when you're lent over you've heard probably heard MotoGP guys do a lot of work on the chassis uh compliance yeah yeah torsional because yeah once you're lent over the bumps are still coming up vertically towards you yeah and if you lent over at 45 degrees can't really absorb so well that the bumps coming in vertically so if you drop the spoke tensions it should give it some more compliance to to track the ground and just just keep your wheels attached to the ground for as long as possible
1: yeah. So you threw everything at it then for Masters Worlds, I guess.
2: Yeah. We did everything we possibly could in a massive panic. Uh, I met a guy online through Instagram called Matt, who's now here full time as my mechanic. He came down from Morzine with my brother to uh, do a job trial at that race. Yeah. And so he was new, first time I met him. The bike was basically new. The track was new. I had not raced for ages. And yeah, we did pretty well considering. I, um, I went to pick up the shock on the way to the race. And I picked it up and then got back on the motorway. And the motorway, tried to get back on the motorway. And the motorway was closed. And I basically had to drive. It was about eight hours overnight instead of three. Over like mm. a thousand mountain passes. Gee,
1: not ideal race
2: prep. And I missed, like, all the first day of practice trying to get a a test to sign on. Then I arrived super late, and then I prepped everything, and then you might have seen me, I snapped the bolt. Yes. I snapped on the main pivot bolts, and I nearly completely lost lost the plot then. (laughs) (laughs) I had everything. I was like, right, you've missed the first, like, half day of practice. You can still get the second half. There's a two-hour lunch break for the chairlift, and we well I, I was on my own then. I like laid everything out: all my riding kit, goggles, gloves, lift pass. The bike was hanging up ready. Tire pressures were checked, and I thought, "Ah, oh, I know everything's tight, but I should just do a bolt check, just last minute." And I just put the eight mil into one of the pivot bolts, and just barely started to torque it, and it just pinged and just snapped. And yeah, nearly lost the plot then. Nightmare. But you found a fix for it, right? I did drive down to Mister, the local Mr. Bricolage, Monsieur Bricolage, which means Mr. Han- Mister Handyman, I guess. And uh, yeah, I managed to find a bolt and bolt through it. And that was thanks to In- Instagram, actually. Alistair McLennan, who we used to be friends with, he said you should just be able to get a bolt and two washers and clamp it together, which we did. Fair play. And I I rode it like that for uh, for weeks afterwards, and it was fine.
1: Nice. And how did the race go? Obviously a bit limited on the practice side.
2: Yeah, I was a bit limited on practice and uh, a bit limited on fitness and race craft at the moment. Uh One of the first downhill races I've done for years. But now really good. I think I finished 12th, 13th, 14th. Nice. In the world, that's all right, isn't it? in the old men old men category uh yeah it's amazing it was amazing to drop in on the first practice run with by far the best setup bike i've ever had and i hit like every line spot on first run which i've never done in my life awesome and all my all my practice run times were really really similar like within a few seconds even yeah. from the first run
1: and you'd not had long on that bike right
2: I rode it for a day and a half and then we changed everything and then I dropped in at the top of the track in practice with like everything. new. Yeah. Um, so pretty intuitive yeah, a bike lot, to get to grips with. Well, after we'd spent ages tuning the suspension here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, I've got settings from NSR about the fork, settings from rulesman about the shock and we barely like we barely changed much after that just a few clicks here and there dropping the spoke tension more but yeah it's amazing once you've got a bike that's properly set up for you how easy it is to ride and how much yeah. headspace you have and yeah it's just easy you've got loads of headspace you can process everything much more quickly you're not fighting against a bike and yeah first one hit basically hit all the lines, did all the jumps. I had walked the track and I had watched the go, uh, some other person's GoPro footage. But yeah, I just dropped in and everyone was almost perfect, really. Didn't nice. have a crash all weekend. I used to just crash all the time when I was a kid, practicing at races. <laughs> um, like everyone, because you're just trying to push and yeah, fighting against the bike and trying to push. But yeah, just felt great smashed it i did a really good practice my last practice run would have put me in like sixth position at the time and my race runs weren't quite as good um in hindsight with what i've learned since then which has been a lot i reckon i could have got on the podium without sounding too arrogant i thought i was gonna get i thought i could get a podium anyway and then genuinely got smoked and had a really really good run couldn't really have asked for any more at the time.
1: How many seconds would you have needed to find for a podium? uh podium? Nine,
2: eight or nine.
1: That's a big chunk. What have you learned in the time since then that you think would buy you those seconds?
2: Uh, ride the common self instead.
1: <laughs> All right, we'll talk about that in a sec. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, were you sad to see the canyon go? And I guess that's, you're going to be pretty sad to see any bike go when it you've sold it for three grand less than you've kind of spent on it. But
2: Yeah. Uh, no, I was joking about changing for the common cell. but uh just learned more about the suspension and yeah, like a lot of the stuff we we're trying at the race was new and I wasn't really used to it, but it was still helping me ride really well, really, really easily, which was great. But now I know more about it and in hindsight, could have been pushing a lot harder.
1: Okay, so it's Pratt. It's time on that setup, basically.
2: Yeah, and yeah, basically time on that setup plus uh, a few other little bits of tuning we've done to the boxer. We've got a coil spring in there now, and a couple of other things. I'm not sure if we should mention it or not. We'll save them. <laughs> save them for <laughs> a video. Uh, yeah, that box is unreal now. And the, the last time I in the Common out, I got to the bottom and Matt was there and I was like, oh my God, that's like the best run I've done on a bike in my whole life. And I said, I was like, if we went back to master's world champs now with that bike and that set and being used to it, I think I could have, even if I just dropped in first run on that bike, I could probably get a podium time.
1: Impressive. Go on then tell us a bit about the comments. I'm just, out, just, so-
2: just guessing. Yeah, uh,
1: privateer bike of choice. Like it's super popular rig at bike parks and races all around the UK, see so plenty of them. An obvious choice to get one and test, I guess.
2: Yeah, well I that was my second panic buy when we realized I'd lost a part from the Norco and it was gonna take ages to get to get it. And I wanted to get the Canyon given away. So yeah, Panic bought the the Common Sal. Also because they were the only bikes in stock, the Canyon and the Common Cell, through the summer. Yeah. And they're both XL and they had nearly identical spec. So I thought that'd be a really good bike to buy to test head to head against the against the Canyon. And yeah, amazing bike, fantastic bike. Again, we changed a lot of parts, tuned it up, kit on the back, the damper in the fork, changed the brakes. Yeah, the biggest problem I was having uh, with the Canyon was uh, the codes, surround yeah. codes overheating. So, change the formula, Cura brakes. Put the O chain on. The O chain makes a massive difference on that common cell, even though you wouldn't expect it as it's a high pivot. Yeah. interesting. But I do think it's got 12 degrees of anti squat, of ex- uh, pedal kickback, the common cell, exactly. Right. So if you put the O chain on in the twelve degree setting, it should completely uh, mitigate that. But it, yeah, I don't know exactly what it's doing, and I don't know if it's purely because of the pedal kickback. But it definitely make that bike makes that bike a lot better, even better. Interesting.
1: Yeah, you put you've run the O chain on the Commencal and on the Canyon, right? Yeah, yeah. Did you feel it had as significant an effect on the Canyon as it did on the the Commencal?
2: On the canyon, it has more effect on the sort of force coming through your feet and keeping your feet on. Which it does help on the common sal as well, but that's not as noticeable. But I don't know why it's just smoother. The bike's a lot quieter. Mm -hmm. And I don't know exactly. I can't really work it out. And I haven't tried to isolate exactly what it's doing, but. I'm not sure. Possibly something to do with, well, a high pivot in general. You don't have any chain growth on the top chain line. But the lower chain line, you do get more chain growth there. Uh So your rear derail, your cage will be moving a lot more to uh, keep the chain tensioned as it goes through the travel. Yeah, yeah. And then the O-chain is also working in sync with that somehow yeah it's improving that lower chain line rear derailleur movement somehow yeah. i don't know how much or it'd be nice if like a bike one of these bike companies with a massive r&d budget would do something like that <laughs> and work out why it makes it better instead of people like me having to do it
1: <laughs> fair comment fair comment <laughs> yeah so yeah what what uh what is it about that bike then that that you really Found you took to because, like you say, it's similar spec to the Canyon. You've made fairly similar product changes to the Canyon, I think, in that you've changed the shock for a Kitsuma, you've upgraded yeah. the fort with Nigel's damper, <coughs> um, brakes. Obviously, what is it? What, yeah, what, how do the two bikes differ
2: once you've made all those changes? Oof, mainly. Well, the main difference is the just hitting square edges or big bumps. The the back wheel of that common cell just moves out of the way of a bump, the bump a lot easier. Yeah. And well, that, that's it really. The main okay. the main one you can just plow into stuff a lot, a lot harder and faster, and it just so the wheel that, yeah, just moves that- out of the way
1: that rearwards axle path then that you're really yeah. feeling when it gets choppy.
2: And I also prefer the Common Salon braking because it's got more anti-squat, anti-rise. And it does sort of pull. If you're braking and hitting bumps, it like pulls the bike more into the travel rather than... Okay. Say you're going down a hill and you pull the brake on. If you've got 100% anti-rise which should be perfect neutral yeah the brake doesn't have any effect on it but those bumps are still hitting your back wheel and trying to lift you up lift your back okay. wheel up yeah but if you've got the common style's got 140 percent anti-rise which should cause the suspension to lock out people say which i don't really believe it it's sort of If you're on the brakes hitting bumps, it pulls the back wheel into the travel. Okay. So your chassis will stay more stable and it'll let the wheel move or it'll force the wheel to move more. Yeah. And I haven't checked this. I'm waiting for a reply from an expert on this. I think because of the axle path, the contact patch stays in in contact with the ground better when you're braking. So if you skid, for example, if you're skidding and the wheels moving backwards through the travel, yeah, that contact patch sort of follows the wheel around, and as the it goes into into the travel and stays connected to the ground more. Whoa, all right, I'd need to do some if you got. <laughs> if you got, yeah, I'm probably not explaining it that well. If you got. A vertical axle path.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's and you're going to traction.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's, as you're, if you're skidding and the suspension's going down, your, axle pa- your contact patch is coming off the ground as the suspension compresses.
3: Yeah.
2: And it does it less with the high pivot.
1: So you think you're getting more braking traction.
2: Yeah, exactly cool it's so very hard to explain I bet no one listening can understand my accent and the explanation with no video <laughs> I need more
1: diagrams yeah, yeah. fair enough
2: you, I am you've... getting that bike analysed and hopefully any day now I'll get the answer to that yeah Justin. it'd be cool to see
1: you've had a pretty consistent across all the bikes I think a consistent issue where you found the compression damping hasn't
2: been enough on the the stock bikes, yeah? Yeah. And I still can't explain why I think that. Well, I know why I think that. I don't think there's enough compression damping, but I don't know why all the shocks seem so lightly damped, but it's impossible to get any answers or graphs or proof of how much compression damping something has to compare it with other, other things.
1: Have you been able to compare that to other riders like do you have a specific preference for particularly high levels of damping or do you think it's just a i don't know something going on that maybe the way they're designing bikes for inverted commas average riders maybe that they've decided that's the right direction to go in
2: like I think exactly what you just said. They're designed for more, I don't know, beginner, novice, slower riders.
3: Uh
2: Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I think they're designed for more novice, slow riders, but none of the brands will tell you that. And none of them will say, this bike's got like a light compression tune. We think it's for beginners. If you're an expert, you want to get it tuned to this or do this to it. It's just like, seems to me like chuck it on one size fits all. There you go. Send the marketing team to work to say it's the perfect tune for everybody, which is impossible.
1: Yeah. I guess that's part of the problem, isn't it? Everyone's very different in their own body shape and weight and also how they ride the bike. So making, there's no perfect shock tune for everyone that's gonna hop on that bike. There's always gonna be outliers, I guess.
2: Yeah, which I think's absolutely fine, but you'll never find that on a, a bike company website anywhere. It'll just tell you it's the perfect kinematic or tune for everybody. Or like the perfect fork stiffness from everyone, from a 40 kilo female EWS racer to 120 kilo novice e-biker yeah like impossible to have the perfect amount of stiffness for those two types of people and everything in between but that's all we all we hear really unfortunately
3: yeah
1: do you think that's because brands are trying to protect themselves in a way or do you think it it would just make the purchasing decision and the amounts of different products and Uh, yeah ultimately product lines that they'd have to carry would be yeah cost prohibitive and then it would be a complicated purchase decision because it's already kind of hard enough to choose a bike as it is well not maybe not now because it's whatever you can get hold of but normally and then if you've got all this kind of like well what fork stiffness should i need and what shock do I need like it's too complicated for 95
2: percent of the people out there yeah that's 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 true. Yeah, I don't have the answer to it really. If we look at motocross, for example, they just seem to sell like standard bikes and people generally do a lot more tuning.
3: Yeah.
2: And anyone that I've met who rides motocross, even not that serious, people aren't that seriously into it. Basically, everyone, as soon as they get a new bike, brand new or used, they just take the suspension off and just send it to their suspension guy, okay, and get it tuned for their weight and their riding style, yeah, and go from there. But mountain bikes, you just everyone just gets straight on the bike and, and rides it, yeah.
1: Is it? And I don't think
2: any of these. So I think all the shocks I've had have been massively underdamped, and they're all rock shock shocks, yeah. And the same underdamped to me. And it's not saying it's a bad shock; it's just got the wrong tune. Yeah, for you. Yeah. For me. And I think, well, maybe I'm completely wrong, but I think it's got a light tune. The brand sells it to you as the perfect thing. I'd just prefer it if they sold it and said, this is our shock. It works roughly for this kind of person, but we advise you to go to your local service center, speak to the expert, go with your bike, talk to them, describe your riding style, where you're going to ride and let them tune it to the manufacturer's recommendations to get them the right tune. Yeah. And I think everyone could have a much better bike. Basically everyone who's got a mountain bike today could have a much better bike if they just got the suspension tuned.
1: So I'm not, I'm not close to motocross. I don't know the details, but am I right in thinking that suspension designs in motocross are, i'm talking kinematics here are more um similar across the board than in mountain
2: biking yeah motocross has just got one type which they invented decided it worked and then just kept it
1: <laughs> yeah fair enough but that makes the that makes the shock tuning piece easier right because you've you understand the whole puzzle whereas if you're shock tuning for a bike that you don't have the kinematics for then it's not quite straightforward
2: yeah, I don't know exactly in motocross if how much they differ. They're all essentially the same design as in terms of a single pivot and a yeah. linkage, a pulled linkage to drive the shock. But I don't know how much they differ. I don't know much about motocross, but I have just seen people that buy a brand new KTM, whatever, from the shop, they take the suspension off it and they send it straight to the, the suspension guy before they've even rode it yeah. just cuz that's what everyone does
3: yeah
1: do you think we'll see more Which, of that makes sense
2: in mountain biking
1: like there's, it it already happens right but not not obviously not to the same extent
2: yeah hopefully hopefully it will uh it will become more sort of mainstream uh it's amazing the difference you can make like some bikes you can get and they just feel so bad and you can ride them for months and months and they just feel not that good and then you get the suspension tuned it's like an epiphany like oh my god i can ride i can actually ride it now at last um yeah massive difference and well one thing is you also have to have really good suspension with a really good setup before you can really tell what the other stuff's not doing correctly Okay, and I think a lot of people have never had really well set up suspension. Got you. And it's only in the last couple of years I think that I've had bikes that I've had amazing setups. Not because I've set them up amazing and I'm some kind of genius. I've gone to the right people, and they've done it. And then we've worked together to get their expertise and my riding knowledge of how I ride and what it feels like, and then. Meshing those together to get the the feeling that you want. Yeah, I mean, you get the feeling that you want. Just everything becomes easy and possible. Um, and there's a few like now I say quite easy to, uh, quite easy to feel. Uh, how to describe it? Uh, characteristics that you want to get towards.
3: Yeah.
2: So the one. The first one is you want to be able to ride pretty much as fast as you can go down something and break basically as hard as you can break and not have any fork dive, which Uh is ideal. And you want to be able to rail berms pretty fast and not have any, uh, not, let the bike go anywhere really past sag or past like 40% travel. So that long, fast bike part burns, it should, you should have enough compression damping that you don't really compress into them.
3: Yeah.
2: And what else? <laughs> I right, should so be able to do the biggest drop that you can do safely, even if you're pushing yourself a bit should be able to do like a pretty big drop or jump that you can just about handle physically the landing yeah and you want to always have like 10 15 mil travel left after that okay and that's for the what? time when you mess something up and you've gone over your limit of what your body can absorb you don't want to bottom out at that point yeah i've okay. so got that reserve yeah, if you bottom out at the point when you're absolutely on the limit and your chest on the handlebars, if you bottom out then, like metal on metal, <laughs> you've got <laughs> problems. Your hands are probably going to fly off. Yeah. Yeah, you want that bit of extra for the time that you really do something stupid or mess something up. Okay. Which, I had exactly that with that Dorado last year. The Dorado RRT I was in Chattel Bike Park. Hit a jump in the mud. Slid on the takeoff. And it was like a 10-meter jump. And I nosedived. I didn't even get to the landing. I nosedived like, into the hole behind the landing. Oh. And I just had all these thoughts going through my mind, like I'm just going to go over the bars, season's over, hospital, <laughs> two broken arms, broken collarbone. And I just like basically hit the back of the jump in a massive nosedive at 30, 40 k's now. Yeah. I was just sure I was going to die, basically and just rode through it no problem the
1: fork just because the fork had a bit left
2: yeah and it had still got like five mil left travel at the end it was 210 mil travel fork um, yeah yeah like perfect tune perfect tune for me in that in that situation
1: what about the rebound side of things
2: uh really fast
1: just fast. <laughs> how how would you describe too
3: fast? Too fast. Um,
2: it's quite hard to get it too fast if you've got sufficient amount of compression dumping. Like the the classic example is. If people get kicked off a jump, yeah. they often think it's the rebound is too fast and they'll slow the rebound down. Yeah, yeah. But normal, nearly every time, if you get kicked off a jump and bucked forwards, providing your technique's half decent, that's because you don't have enough compression dampening the rear shock and you'll go through too much travel. And then you've got to come rebound out of that travel back to your normal position. Yeah, yeah. But the amount of extra force that generates the rebounding, it will start to push you forwards in the air. Uh Whereas if you have more compression damping, you go through less travel on the takeoff and then you get less of a rebound effect. Got you. So, yeah, it's pretty hard to find if you've got too much rebound. Normally you just start to feel like, I don't know, sketchy or loose maybe. Yeah. Like start to feel a bit loose. But yeah, I've I've mainly just been following recommendations this this year and just sort of going with what they what they say. Yeah, Nigel and Rulesman, and then trying like a couple of clicks here and there. Yeah. But the rebounds normally within one click of what they say, and I just leave yeah. it. Just leave it. And there. Normally pretty wide open, not wide open, but towards the wide open end of the spectrum. Yeah, normally, to if people feel the bike, they'll say, "Wow, that feels fast." <laughs> But also, the rebounds sort of proportional to the speed that you ride at, and I don't think I'm a particularly fast rider, but I'm faster than most riders, even in my old age. So, if you're travelling, if you're travelling faster, you have to have faster rebound. Yeah, to keep contact with the ground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah. Fair enough. Well, we can't we can't not talk about the Norco. shore you've mentioned it in passing um but that feels like the bike that you've had the most um challenges shall we say with
2: it has been challenging <laughs> i think it was the first bike i ever bought at full retail price okay and uh i feel a bit bad now cuz i just feel like i'm just kicking the crap out of that bike just continually just like stamping on its grave <laughs> But it's probably the overall the worst bike I've ever had. Yeah, in terms, but not
1: of because being able of the it. Yeah, because <laughs> of a few relatively well not in, not insignificant, but like it's a few small things that are causing it to be that worst bike ever, right? Some fundamental things.
2: Yeah, the fundamental thing was the bolt falling off on the second ride, and not being able to get a replacement bolt nut and bolt for two months. Two months. That's pretty bad. Not completely Norco's fault, but they didn't have it in stock when I asked for it, which I do sort of blame them because they should, I think, you should have the spare parts in stock before you sell the product. Uh Would be my, well, obviously that's a perfect world. I know I've had supply chain disruptions and stuff this year. Yeah. So it could be from that. But ideally you want to sell a product and from day one have the any spares there for backup. Yeah. So yeah, it took a couple of months to get the bolt. And then yeah, the bolts just come in come in loose on the rear end. I can't find anyone else that's had the same problem. So the bike could be misaligned or bent or something could have happened with it. But yeah, we got the new bolt, we followed Follow the torque specs from the manual. We loctited it, yeah. And then a couple of weeks ago, now did literally one run in finale and it came two thirds of a turn loose. Strange. Then did another run and it was like nearly a full turn loose. And it's like really short amount of thread, there's only three full threads on the nut that receives the bolt, so three full rotations and the bolt will come out, yeah. And in two runs, it came one out of three loose, which explains how I lost it in the first place because I only rode it for about, I think, 12 runs in Cran Montana. Yeah. And then it had fallen out at the end of the last run. And I I didn't even notice it must have fallen out like right at the end of the last run. Uh, So that was a major problem. And yeah, and then we. And then the chain coming off. The chain we just... The first arrow that the chain didn't come off at all. But I think in hindsight, when you've got a brand new chain, you know, it's like super greased and sticky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like not... Tacky. Like not oiled when you get it. It's like... Yeah. Grease, like thick, tacky grease, yeah. And it didn't come off the first day. And then it got continually worse. And I was going absolutely mad last week. It came off <laughs> like... 15 times in one run jeez
1: i mean these are long runs
2: but still that's that's yeah they're like 20 20 minute runs in finale 15 20 minute runs yeah
1: it's the high pivot right the norco shore with fairly limited chain ring wrap
2: yeah so there's three models of that bike the top the higher two models have uh, I think Eagle, SRAM Eagle, or Shimano gearing, and they both have yeah. a narrow-wide chainring. I got the cheaper bike part version, and it's got some really old. <laughs> Matthias keeps bullying this poor crank, and saying how bad it is. It's like a really old-school crank,
3: yeah,
2: marked up as like a new product with the new okay. logos and stuff. But it's still got four bolts on the back of it for a granny ring. If you want a granny yeah. chain ring. Nice. and no narrow wide teeth and that really old like i'm not sure normal crank extraction method and we couldn't get the crank off okay I didn't have the tool i'm yeah, taking yeah. a crank off like that for 10 years i'm probably starting to sound like a, a snob now but.
1: what like a tape oh a bottom bracket with a taper on it
2: that old it's not tapered it's splined but you need to uh okay like thread in a crank extractor yeah yeah to pull it Pull the crank off yeah and we're laughing because that crank's so crappy. Bless it. It's not even on the Raceface website. Below their budget, $99 crank. Wow. It's like a $99 budget crank. And then the Chester isn't on the website at all, which is the one I've got. Um yeah, I'm just bullying it now. But the chain just kept coming off. But we we did solve that by we put a narrow-wide chain ring on. Yeah. And we also spaced the bash guard over because the bash guard was like seven millimeters away from the chain ring, from the the edge of the chain. And we spaced it over uh, four and a half mil, plus we put rubber tape on it, which is about a couple of mil as well. So we spaced that over to get the bash guard super close to the chain and stop it coming off uh, the inside of the chain ring. Yeah, yeah. Which helped, which it did, and also made it way quieter because the chain was just slapping off the metal bash guard. Yeah. And Norco's top chain guide, um, you can't adjust it; it's fixed in place, and it's like molded or 3D printed, molded. Yeah. Into like the shape of the frame, and you can't move it, but you can open it, and we opened it and stuffed a load of Sugru inside. Okay. 'Cause there's quite a lot of excess space around the chain. So the chain yeah. could just pop off the off the the idler wheel and come off. And during when I was riding I realised it was coming off the bottom chain ring sometimes, but also the top jockey wheel.
1: Off the idler, yeah.
2: Cause initially I assumed it was just coming off the bottom, and then one time I was riding down and I felt it come off a bit. And I looked down and it was on the bottom of the chainring and it was off the jockey wheel. And then I pedalled, and then it pulled it off the whole thing. (laughs) So yeah, after we filled up the thing with Sugru, we moulded it all nicely to shape so the chain can't come off there. And we changed the chainring, and we modified the bash guard. The chain came on. It just got jammed in the derailleur once. Yeah. Well, you know, it happens fairly regularly on the SRAM Eagle. It can come off the lower jockey wheel and get jammed between the derail your cage and the jockey wheel
1: okay I've not seen that happen but
2: yeah I'm pretty sure it happens you know sometimes the lower jockey wheel which has got narrow wide teeth on it sometimes it like pops out of sequence like half a link oh yeah 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 like skips yeah and then the the wide teeth are trying to go into the narrow hole and it's like not synced
3: yeah
2: it's not synced or seated properly on the The jockey wheel, and sometimes you feel it. You're pedalling, and it'll be like a little bit rough, and you can just pop it back on. Uh I think that's happening, but possibly because the high pivot bikes got more lower chain growth. You get more pressure on the derailleur,
3: yeah, yeah.
2: And I think it pops off the chain. The chain pops off the jockey wheel, then you get a big compression, and it can pull it off the side. Got, yeah. in between yeah, the cage yeah. and the but i've only had that no i've had that happen a few times but i've only had it happen twice in a row and it was pretty confident it's that problem on on this bike
1: yeah and what just remind me how did you buy that bike because norco is not a direct customer brand is it
2: i bought it on bike 24
1: okay which is that's is that German, German website yeah
2: yeah And so,
1: I bought loads of of
2: them. They've been they've been really good. No affiliation, but they've been really, really helpful this year.
1: Yeah. And how's how's that dialogue been then with with that bike? So obviously, it took you a while to get the the bolt replacement. Which, all right, you know, there's a lot going on this year with supply chains and stuff. You could potentially blame that. Who knows? But fundamentally, a bike with a chain that won't stay on feels like an issue. Like, how's that dialogue been?
2: Well, Bike24 have been great. And the guy there, Stefan, who subscribes to my YouTube channel, so I like him, he, he's been really helpful, but he has obviously been towing like the, the normal line. Because I've asked yeah. for a refund a load of times. And, yeah, a lot of people have commented, like, "I oh, can just fix it yourself. You need to sort it out. You need to learn how to fix these problems, which I have now done. But in my mind, if you're spending five grand on any product, it should work. And that thing didn't work. And yeah, we lost the bolt. The chain kept coming off. We put a dropper post, fitted a dropper post and there's like some kind of burr inside the seat tube. Yeah. It's scratched all my brand new 400 euro bike yoke dropper. Nice. So that was annoying. And yeah, I could get some sandpaper and a bit of a stick or something and sand it out. But I don't think that's really the the point. And if it was my own bike, I would do all these things anyway. Like if I bought any bike just to ride for myself, I'd strip it down and check everything and lock tight it, grease it. But I'm trying to buy the bikes as I think a real consumer would buy them.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. A
2: real consumer is not going to strip it down. They're not going to check torques. How many people do you know who own a torque wrench? Like, not, not many. Not many. Um, they're not going to check the bolts after the first ride, probably. They're just going to ride it and be like, well, I spent five grand on this. I'm sure I can use it for more than 30 minutes before yeah. doing any maintenance. And I just, they wouldn't, well, it depends who it is, how experienced they are, but a lot of people wouldn't know how to fix a chain guide. We knew how to do that because we've got a lifetime of experience of crappy chain guides from 15, 20 years ago when you're before clutches and before narrow wide and all this stuff, yeah. like solving problems, how to keep your chain on for any kind of bike back in the day. I'm lo- I've am i lost where I'm going now. I've started ranting, I think.
1: <laughs> you're right. You- yeah, I guess like where... How do you see brands or shops dealing with something like that? Because I think, you know, the bolt thing is unfortunate. Maybe there's an issue with that particular bite, like you say, in alignment, but it feels like that the chain setup as it was was never going to work. I don't know if you've heard of other people having this issue, but it feels like a sort of a fairly fundamental flaw.
2: Yeah, I, my guess is, and Norco can reach out to me and say what they think. I think that that bike in that exact spec wasn't test road. And I think this is quite normally mountain biking. They've probably got a mule or samples of that frame. They build it up with probably the nicest kit, for like the top end bike or what the top-end bike will be like. Or, I'm assuming from my experience in the bike industry, it's really easy to get like the top stuff if you're a tester. Uh So if you're going to go and test ride that bike and you're the tester, you might as well get the best stuff, access and whatever, electronic stuff and the best suspension and drivetrain that you can get. But then, at some point, the product manager or someone has chosen the parts for the low-end production bike, and it hasn't actually been tested in reality. Okay. But yeah, I, fair I, enough. I did find one of the review reviewer who had the top-of-the-line bike, and he lost the chain twice off the top guide as well. Yeah. So the top guide is not quite designed properly in my view. It's very close. It's only a few millimetres out. It's very close, just not quite there. And the issue with my bike it's just bad spec basically just not having the narrow wide chain ring and not having the bash guard spaced as well as it could be.
1: And with supply chains this year as well, uh, I think a lot of bike companies are having to switch like specs and builds from what maybe they initially had. So maybe they had something that worked and then they've couldn't get enough stock of it and made a last minute change that they've not either tested or had the time to test fully.
2: Yeah. Well, this, this story is a, been evolving quite a lot in the last few days and I don't know the, the true answer yet but uh, I did have one guy message me saying he saw two people on Norco Shores, the same one in a bike park in Canada this year he said he rode past two people both putting the chain on <laughs> which is funny and initially Bike24 were saying are oh, the chain coming off and losing the bolt They're like that's not a warranty problem right?" And they didn't say it was my fault but they're essentially saying, if that's not a warranty problem, it's your problem. So it's your fault. and You need to, yeah. to sort it out. But then I think I did prove it was a problem with the bike because we fixed it by changing yeah. it. And I did prove, I think, that the bolt coming out was not my fault because we got a new bolt. We loctited it. We torqued it. We rode it. And it just came loose again. Yeah yeah no one else has had this issue but that we can find but it could be the frame is misaligned or the bearing's not pressed in or some other little issue but now also because it's cracked I cracked the ICG mount which we noticed when we <laughs> modified the chain guide at some point a rocks flown up hit the bash guard yeah and the force going through the bash guard's cracked the ICG mount mount at the weld onto the bottom bracket okay so now it's going back for to bike 24 for a warranty check possibly for a refund because of all the problems and i asked for a refund multiple times just saying i'm not happy with it it doesn't work i haven't been able to ride it it's a bike park bike i've missed all the bike park season and again so some people might think that i'm being snobby about this but i'm doing it for the consumers and the customers I'm trying to do it as a as a real consumer would do. And I think if I bought an iPhone or a washing machine and it didn't work for two months and then I had other problems with it, I'll be getting angry and I'll be asking for just a complete replacement, all my money, money back or money back and like a discount voucher for the next thing you're going to buy from them. Yeah. Um, but I don't know anyone that's ever had a refund on a mountain bike ever or even many mountain bike parts
1: that's a fair point I don't either
2: and yeah now I have sort of fixed it and maybe I'm being snobby and there's lots of other little factors but really I think I'm entitled to a refund really
1: yeah you shouldn't have had to go to the extent that you've done to get that thing to work for the chain to stay on that's on a modern bike that
2: doesn't feel right and yeah. even if Sorry? I do get a refund, I'm still gonna lose about a couple of grand, plus I missed four at four times I was gonna go away with that bike testing and riding for fun, and I missed all of them, yeah, and I was thinking if I was a normal a normal like I get to ride my bike all the time, I've got other bikes, garage full of bikes uh I get to ride all year round, I get paid to go on photo shoots and ride other bikes. It's amazing for me. But if I was a guy, imagine if you like booked your once-in-a-lifetime trip to Whistler and you're going to go for the whole season and you book your accommodation, your flights, bought your $1,000 lift ticket for the season, your brand-new bike, all happy, ready to go. And you get there, you do one day's riding. And you're like, this is the best thing I've ever done in my whole life. I can't believe it. <laughs> this is the best place ever. The bike's amazing. uh i've lost the (laughs) bot. and then you sit there for the whole season just waiting you'd be going absolutely mad like you you'd be losing the plot big time
1: yeah game over so how do you feel then in hindsight having had those issues like would you rather have those issues in a bike where you've bought it direct from the brand or in a bike that you've bought through a shop because Like people are still a bit split, maybe on that, and brands are are still split on the model they're going down. Like, would you, yeah, would you have rather been in a position where you had a direct line to the brand through these issues?
2: In this case, yeah. And if we judge it against the Canyon Sender warranty, which I had, which is (laughs) so, I bought three bikes this year. Two of them have been. Well one's been warranted and the other one is probably gonna be warranted. Or what was the warranty was on
1: the canyon? Was that the
3: boat?
2: No the the sender's got full length internal channels, carbon oh, yeah. carbon tubes for the, the hoses. Brake and derailleur hoses.
3: Yeah.
2: And it's like a, a carbon tube inside the frame and mine wasn't connected properly to the inside of the frame and it came loose. Ah, uh, okay. Well, they, they never told me exactly what the problem was. I probably should have asked them, actually. But from the first day I got it, it was rattling. Something was rattling in the frame and over time it got worse and then at the end it was really bad. Yeah. And it looked to me like the whole tube was disconnected from the inside of the down tube and it was just rattling okay. against the the down tube. And they did change Canyon were really good with that, to be fair. Really quick on the communication. It did still take like four or five weeks in total to get the bike back. You have to talk to them, agree to do this. They agree they're going to check it out. You have to pack it up, arrange the collection, gets picked up, shipped to Italy. The Italian service centre checked it. Then they got a new frame sent from Germany to Italy. Then they have to rebuild the bike, ship it back to me.
3: Yeah.
2: So it's still like four or five weeks. Viet Canyon were very good in that. They might have recognized my name or know what I'm doing with the reviews and maybe expedited it a bit, but I did the whole thing exactly as a customer would through their customer service contact. And it was, yeah, perfect. Cool. Including, I was talking to a guy in the UK because he was speaking English. But he did he did organise the stuff through the Italians and he communicated in Italian, so that's quite good. I think if you yeah. if you're a Canyon customer, you'd always be able to talk to your local language centre and they would then sort it out for you. Cool. So you wouldn't have to try and speak someone in German or Italian if you didn't speak those languages. Uh-huh. And bike twenty four have been really good, but they're a reseller and they've been going back and forwards with Norco about it as well, which just adds an extra layer of, uh, you know, time and Norco in Canada, they're in Germany. It's just going to add time to when the times that people are answering questions, replying to emails. Yeah. Uh, It's just another level of, uh, complication, I guess.
1: So your experience so far... In this case, I'll
2: definitely go with the Canyon uh, direct customer service. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Interesting, because, yeah, I guess that some people are put off by that lack of a shop from a support perspective, but in this instance, it feels like it's almost been better to have that direct connection to Mm. resolve the issue.
2: And I'd also prefer the Canyon in this case, because when I snapped the swing arm bolt, they actually had them in stock and sent one to me like within <laughs> four day, four days, three or four days. Yeah. So, And the O-rings, after all the O-rings fell out on the first day. The double-sealed O-rings on the cassette uh-huh. all fell out after the first three runs. Yeah. And, uh, they sent me a new kit, a pack of those. Yeah, so the sender was great, apart from the O-rings came out. I snapped the bolt and the internal routing, uh, cable routing came loose. Yeah, Apart from that, it was great. Fair play. Um, so, and the yeah. chain guide hit in the frame. Okay. Which I had at least five people now tell me they checked their sender and adjusted the the lower L 13 LG1 chain guide because it was hitting the swing guard.
1: Ah, uh, so you just need to like rock it out the way a bit.
2: Yeah, I can't remember now off the top of my head which way it was going, but you ha- it wasn't installed correctly. And it sounds yep. like many of them are the same
1: interesting stuff so yeah and a lot of like, other
2: people the o-ring the o-ring issue the wrong grease on the o-rings yeah causing the o-rings to come out I don't know uh-huh. do you have that problem or
1: yes yeah pretty quickly yeah, they work their yeah. way out the external seals
2: you got Excellent, the special media like pre- external pre- external one as well <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> who knows who yeah. knows whether it was a special one but uh basically all the o-rings did.
2: got chewed on that internal and external
1: i don't think they're a particularly essential thing anyway really are they they're just going to help the sealing a little bit like functionally it's just there to stop stuff
2: getting in yeah it's just an extra level of of a uh, sealant if yeah. for any normal people they should keep those in if they're yeah. there's no point in taking them out but if you want the ultimate performance Yeah, you can take that. Give it a little bit more Yeah, a little bit less friction.
1: Yeah. Interesting. So how's the whole thing been going down then? You've obviously you've kind of I guess the sender you've done start to finish, the Norco Shore's turned into a bit, well, a lot of a saga that's kind of ongoing. The comments are is that sort of parked for now? I don't know. But like how's how's the response been from the general public, right? Because that's who you're aiming this at, isn't it? Us normal people who are like buying bikes, consuming bikes, and, and living through the reality of owning modern mountain bikes?
2: The response has been fantastic. I've had nearly no negative anything at all. Everything's been great, super positive. Uh, YouTube channel is still tiny, but it's gone up to like 1,400 subscribers. Okay. And pretty much every comment, every video is like 100% positive thumbs up and positive comments. So that's good. I'd like it to have a lot more reach, but that's going to come with time, hopefully. Uh Um, My Instagram followers have gone up a lot and I got tons and tons of uh, private messages from people, which is good. A lot of people saying, Oh, I watched that video and yeah, I checked yeah, like the canyon. I checked the chain guard, and you're right, my chain guard was out of place. Or, uh, I can't think of any of those now off the top of my head. But a lot of people saying, "Oh yeah, I watched that," and you're right, this 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 did this or this happened or I changed this, and it made this better.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, I'll try and reply to everyone. If I didn't reply to you, sorry. Uh, yeah, I got loads of messages. Loads of great messages uh a lot of emails as well from people asking advice on what they should buy or what they should do or uh yeah that kind of thing nice and loads of really good response from industry people as well who i can't name a lot of them but a lot of industry people um and a lot of bike shops and um, like suspension centers and like engineers or brand ambassador people, all those kind of people. Uh, had a lot of really positive stuff. Like, yeah, you're doing, doing a good job. Keep going, even if you even if you're struggling. Uh, this is a really good thing. Yeah, keep going. Keep right, yeah, basically keep going. Make it work. Yeah, definitely. So, well, and that's
1: it. Like you say, you need that growth to get it to work financially. Like how. How long have you got? Do you know what I mean? Like how you, you've you, once you've maxed out credit cards and got a certain amount of loans, it gets harder and harder. Like how how far off making it work are you at the moment? Do you think? Oof, <laughs>
2: I can't answer that one. Hopefully not that far. Okay. I've uh, yeah mostly survived last year by. I've done quite a few photo shoots this year, which were good and done quite a lot of copywriting, which is basically earned a full, well, a decent part-time salary out of that for the whole yeah. last six months. And I've been surviving off selling old. I've still got a bunch of old bike stuff. Uh, yeah. Maxing out the credit cards, asking dad for some money. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's, he's helped me out with a few, buying a few things. And I have had quite a few donations as well through, Kofi and the Linktree link, which you can now get donations directly from that. Uh, okay. Not a huge amount, but I've had a, well, enough to buy a couple of pairs of brakes or a new shock or something for your bike, so that's all yep. appreciated. One guy gave me 200 bucks. And I don't know who he is. I could never work out who he was.
3: Fair uh, play. there
2: be a lot of people donating 3, ten, twenty 10, 20 euros yeah which is great all all helps, and what I'm hoping now I've built my own raffle website, sorry competition skill based competition giveaway site
3: <laughs> yeah
2: where I'm going to be doing the giveaways myself because I did use another platform before, and it wasn't very good. you could only pay by credit card. And a lot of people had credit card, um, transaction problems. But now with my new website, which is just going to be com, like all my other platforms, or Aston MTB, I should be able to go there and buy the raffle tickets and pay with credit card, PayPal, bank transfer, Apple Pay, Google Pay, any of those things.
1: Wicked. And I don't have to give
2: away. Yeah, and I don't have to give away 10% of the profits to a raffle platform.
3: Yeah.
2: I don't have to give 105 away to PayPal, which is a bit annoying, but (laughs) hopefully not there won't be all PayPal payments.
1: So, yeah, what's the best way for people, if people are looking to enter the uh, skill-based competition, what's the best way for them to pay for you to pay lowest fees, if that makes sense?
2: Uh, I think bank transfer followed by credit card, yeah, followed by PayPal. Okay, not exactly sure. Hopefully, when this goes out, it'll be live. I'm still not live. We've been uh, trying to get it live for two months now, and that's why you asked a few minutes ago. The common sale is on the back burner, waiting until that raffle site's ready.
1: Is that, that uh, yeah, the right to get raffled
2: gone Well, it was going to be the Norco because I really wanted to get rid of it, but now it's looking like a refund, yeah. hopefully. So yeah, then the common self, which I've done most of the review for, I just need to finish that off and uh, Sweet. Yeah, get it up on the site. But there's also yeah. going to be a few other things on there which I'm going to give away, which will hopefully help to raise some some more money. So we're going to do yeah, some special suspension parts pre-tuned to the customer. Nice. And a few of the little special bits and pieces. Plus, there'll be a few products on there, some Aston MTB products on there soon to sell. So, some merch. Mer- I don't want to do merch, but there's going to be some kinds of merch, hopefully. What? Uh, Not another t-shirt. Nobody needs a t-shirt with my <laughs> logo on it.
1: What are you thinking? Can you give anything away?
2: I was trying to get some gloves made. Okay. Because, yeah, I think I agree with people selling T-shirts to promote their brand. But there's enough T-shirts in the world and nobody needs a T-shirt with just my name on it. And a picture of me. No Fair. one needs that. But gloves. <laughs> you always need gloves. You, yeah. Gloves are always a handy, <laughs> handy thing to have. <laughs> Uh, when you're riding, so I was going to get some gloves and maybe some little bike products. Yeah, interesting. We can't talk about some little bike tuning bits and pieces.
1: Yeah, very cool. So what's yeah, what's next? Like, what have you got your sights on as far as product or bikes go? Because if the Norco gets uh, refunded and the Commonsales gone, what fills the gap? Like, it's, there's not a lot of stuff in stock at the moment, huh?
2: I have been heavily considering getting into electric motocross bike reviews Interesting. instead of mountain bikes because I've got loads of land and a lot of the electric motos are cheaper than mountain bikes and probably way more fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm very tempted to get a SIR on or so on those little electric motos.
1: Oh, I've not seen those
2: so on so on s-u-r-r-o-n i'll have to have a look uh, they're only four thousand euros no and they look really good sam pilgrim's got like, some good videos jump in one
1: uh, uh i think yeah i might have seen some around. snippets um, of that
2: yeah and a working car because my car's completely destroyed well the car my brother gave me i rallied too hard too much <laughs> I might have bounced off a few barriers on the way back up to my house. Oops! <laughs> the road, the road up to the house is like, well, it's actually a rally stage. They have a rally here every year. And I might've hit a couple of barriers, <laughs> which were put in the racing line. For some reason, the barriers were in my racing line. Um, and seriously, I'm going to try before Christmas to get everything raffled off. Yeah. And then Matt is going back to Brazil for two months, the mechanic. And I'm not sure how bad the winter's going to be here. It could be quite cold, snowy winter. So
3: yeah, I'm
2: going to try and get rid of everything before winter. And then February, March, by hopefully three or four e-bikes. Okay. This year, because I didn't have a plan, and it was all everything changing as we're going along was well, pretty sporadic in the way I bought the bikes. But really, I want to buy yeah, three or four e-bikes with the same motor, or the same like, Bosch system, for example, or Shimano yeah. system, and get them all in and do all the video at the same time on my test tracks. So, yeah, also going to build, hopefully, January, February, spend a lot of time building tracks.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Then get the e-bikes in. Yeah, try and get four at the same time. Do all the reviews in one sort of block. So hopefully speed up the processing time and the Yeah, speed up the work rate.
3: Yeah.
1: And a bit and less rap, focus on bit less focus on downhill bikes then. Like maybe this shit, like you said, they were both panic buys, but it's been quite heavily downhill bike focused.
2: No, I want to get e bikes for the spring because it's a perfect time to ride them in my woods or on the local stuff. Yeah. But hopefully get rid of them all by summertime and then get some uh, downhill bikes again for the summer. Uh Uh-huh. I do actually have an antidote downhill frame on order, the new one. Yeah. For another custom build. Very nice. Um, After buying the -the off-the-shelf bikes, I am... I'm a bit torn whether I want to do stock bikes or just go for ridiculous custom builds. I, I can I can
1: see which one might be more fun, but maybe for the consumer, the stock builds are more relevant. I don't know.
3: Mm,
2: but it's probably hopefully be more people buying tickets on the custom stuff because it would be harder to harder to get like one of a kind. Yeah things very
3: true yeah
2: and i have been in contact with a lot of bike companies who are up for doing some custom interesting stuff so Uh yeah probably be a mix of the two in the end a bit of yeah off the shelf stuff and a bit of custom stuff um awesome i should also have a starling next week or the week after
1: okay which one
2: spur the gearbox driven starling so that's going to be my winter bike. So there will be some stuff coming out about that over the winter.
1: Very nice.
2: And yeah, hopefully get to the, get the e-bikes in the spring. Yeah. Or just the electric motorbikes.
3: Yeah.
1: So a year on then, like looking back at what you've achieved this year, like how do you, how do you feel about the project so far? This is a huge undertaking, both like with the farm and everything there, but also the, the business and trying to set something, brand new up in the mountain bike world
2: oh yeah the whole overall it's been yeah a lot of hard work if you yeah take into account all the brexit problems bureaucracy problems virus problems uh general italian organization like waiting six months to get the water connected (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i'm trying to renovate a house and build trails, and test the bikes, and learn how to make videos, and set up a YouTube channel, and do the raffles, and try and complete Tinder, and set up a vegetable (laughs) garden. It's, uh, yeah, been a lot. I think a lot of people probably find the same when they do a big project, like day-to-day. Day-to-day, I'm always anxious and a bit stressed about it not going quickly enough. Yeah. But then if you look back through all the photos and stuff over the last uh, I'm not sure how long, six months now since May you're like wow, we've done a lot a lot of stuff and it has been progressing really well. But obviously when you're there each day it sort of looks the same.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, I think I've only been here four months in total actually at the farm. I think I'm about yeah six or seven months now since I bought it but I've been away for at least two months, okay. On different riding trips, photo shoot trips, Tinder trips, um, <laughs> all that, all that kind of thing. Weekends yeah. away in Finale, uh, yeah. Weekends in the bike bike parks and stuff. So, cool. yeah, progress has been really good. If we nice. can keep this up for five years, we should have a pretty good thing going at the end of that.
1: Yeah, nice one. Well, if people want to go and check it out. And see the videos and everything like where where should they head and, and if they're liking what you're doing like the sound of it how can they best support you
2: well mostly on instagram followed by well instagram has short updates and some little review type updates of the bikes yeah and i've got the most followers there and i do the most posts after that youtube which are much, <laughs> much more long form, way, way too long videos. They're like 20, 30 minute videos about, yeah, I think pretty in-depth tests of the bikes. Yeah. Plus I like to, I'm trying to put in lots of other useful information in there, not just about um, the exact bike in question, but why you try and tune your suspension in a certain way. What happens if you make the offset a lot shorter on your fork? What happens if you change the spoke tensions? I'm trying to add in a lot more sort of extra knowledge about that stuff on the way. Yeah. And then my website, Aston MTB, for the raffles, and there are, there is going to be some extra informational articles on there about the bikes in written form eventually. Okay. Including some uh, analysis and... Graphs and charts and measurements and stuff. Yeah. And then from there, from any of those places, you can go to coffee to make a little donation, or through the link tree link, you can make a, do- a donation directly. Yeah. But everything is Aston MTB. Every single uh platform I use is Aston MTB. Nice one. So should, cool. If I've done the SEO correctly, which I probably haven't, you should be able to find everything quite easily.
1: Well, I will uh, make sure that I stick links to all of that stuff in the show notes for the episode. So if people want to find it via my site, they can, or they can uh, put it in Google's hands and type Aston MTB in. Sounds like they should be able to find it that way as well. Uh, But yeah, man, I want to wish you the best of luck with it. Like, it's been really interesting seeing what you've done this year. Like, I've watched quite a lot of the videos now, and uh, yeah, like, I don't think I've seen anything that's going into that level of detail and the passion you have for eking out the performance out of a bike is yeah it's incredible it's cool to watch it's nice to see what you're up to and yeah the the fact that you're always puzzling and trying to make bikes quicker and work better is is really cool to see so i hope it continues i hope the the loans don't have to keep coming and (laughs) that it starts working for you through the raffles and stuff pretty soon and yeah, I look forward to seeing what you end up testing next year.
2: Yeah, yeah thanks. Um, yeah, I do really like trying to push all these things to the to the limits, and that's just what me and my friends have always done. And I have been lucky enough, from my experience as a a racer, yeah, racing some well, just about racing some World Cups, and then moving on to being a journalist. I'm oh, not a journalist, a bike reviewer for pink bike gave me a lot of access to people who worked at bike companies, engineers. Uh, yeah, I know a lot of people in race teams, racers, mechanics. So a lot of this stuff isn't just my crazy idea. I'm going to do this to this bike or do that to that bike. I'm speaking to a lot of different people all the time about what's happening. What's cool. that's happening in the bike world. So it's not just yeah my crazy ideas. It's like a, a whole mix of different people and all yeah. the stuff before I post it, I uh, always send it to at least two or three people I would regard as experts and just ask them to give me like the most brutal <laughs> review of my review they can. And if they're like, I'm like, if there's anything wrong with it, let me know, yeah. challenge me on it and let's try and get, get to the bottom of it. Um, yeah, there's a lot of forward-thinking stuff happening. Um, the Boxer Ultimate Ultimate should be interesting to watch soon. Okay. If Anyone spotted who've been running the the damper on the left instead of the air spring?
1: Okay, so you switch the legs over.
2: Yeah. And that came through a friend of a friend of a friend who works at a suspension company who have been doing testing on switching the damper onto that side. And I've had some quite positive results out of it. Why would that be the case? Oh, you'll have to like, subscribe, and turn (laughs) on the notification bell to uh, get that one.
1: Right, I'm in. I'm sold.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) it's something similar to, I don't know if you noticed in the other reviews, I don't know if you ever actually had the patience to watch them all to the end. With a standard boxer, we're always yeah, yeah. getting two, two mil, mil more difference. travel on one side.
1: See, I do listen to you, Paul. Two mil.
2: Yeah. I knew that. Two mil. Every time. Every time, yeah. two mil.
1: Yeah. This is because um, the spring's effectively harder to push than the damper side of the fork, right? So the fork's yeah. always sort of wiggling a little bit rather than going straight through yeah. its travel, which is going to make yeah. it bind a bit more and you get more friction. Yeah. So if and you we can equalize that out. Con-
2: yeah. We haven't confirmed this yet, but even... Now with the coil spring, which is well, I've got less sag with the coil spring than the air. Uh-huh. It's only moving like one mil different. Okay, yeah, on each on each side. Interesting. Oh, you're really getting oh, into the need, detail of it. I need That's to cool. do more. Need to do more. Yeah, more testing on
1: that. Wicked. I shall make sure I keep my eyes open for that.
2: Yeah, the Norco is going back tomorrow for assessment. The Forks going back on the common style today. We're going to go and ride that tomorrow and film it. And I've rode the banshee, the custom built banshee, which is a really cool bike. Now going to be filming that over the next few weeks. So there should hopefully be some more fun, less moaning stuff coming up, but <laughs> there could still be some moaning. Well, wow. you have a good, of moaning still. good stuff.
1: All right, mate. Well, all the best. I hope it goes well. Keep in touch. Let us know what you're up to and um, maybe we'll get you back on in another year and see how things have progressed.
2: Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Chris. We managed to make it half the length of my last ramble.
1: <laughs> well, that was the backstory. Now we're caught yeah. up. We can, uh, yeah. can do it quicker. Nice one. Yeah, All right, mate. Take care. Yeah,
0: thanks, Chris. Cheers. All right, that's it for this episode with Paul. I really hope you've enjoyed listening. A massive thanks to Earshots. They've solved the issue of headphones falling out while riding with their patented magnetic ear clip design. So you can keep the motivation high while riding or training with your favorite tunes or podcasts. You can find out all about them over at Earshots.com. And to be in with a chance of winning one of two pairs of Earshots, just head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash Earshots now and leave your name and email address before the 4th of January. Also a massive thanks to Canyon for supporting this episode. They've just launched their updated big hitting talk with all wheel size options covered and both aluminium and carbon versions available across a wide range of pricing. If you want to get your hands on one then you can get free bike guard with your purchase by using the code all-features-unlocked-21 at the checkout. That's all in uppercase all-features-unlocked-21 at the checkout over on canyon.com. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you're still listening and you've got a bit of time, there's a few things you can do to help out. First, and most importantly, spread the word by telling your rider mates about the podcast, because the more people who listen, the easier it is for me to keep the podcast going. Share the episodes on your social media, it's an awesome way to spread the word and get some buzz going around the episodes. And if you've still got a bit of time, then a review on Apple Podcasts goes a long way too. All right, we're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon, but until then. Get out and ride.